0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox, here are today's top stories. Pro-abortion activists allegedly firebomb and vandalize a pro-life pregnancy center in Buffalo, New York. Multiple states have reported such cases since the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion on Roe v. Wade. The lawn of the National Mall is covered with flowers today to memorialize lives lost to gun-related violence. Democratic lawmakers joined activists to urge Congress to follow through on restricting gun rights even if they need to make compromises to gain support from across the aisle.
1: We should do anything that we can and pass any bill we can because it's worth saving even one life.
0: The Los Angeles prosecutor is defending the seven-month sentence he gave a teen felon for a hit-and-run incident. But a former San Diego prosecutor says the teen should have been tried as an adult. Yesterday, we reported that at least 50 people were killed in the Nigerian church massacre. That number has now been updated to 38 dead. We'll give you the latest. A Kansas woman pleads guilty to conspiring to provide material support for terrorism in the Middle East. She led an Islamic State battalion on behalf of ISIS training women and girls to use explosives and AK-47s. A pro-life pregnancy center in Buffalo, New York, says it was firebombed and vandalized overnight. According to multiple reports, authorities are investigating it as arson. And pro-abortion group Jane's Revenge has reportedly claimed responsibility for the attack. The group is also said to be responsible for similar attacks in recent months. Here are the details.
2: A pro-life pregnancy center called Compass Care says its office in Buffalo, New York was firebombed on Tuesday. They posted photos of the destruction showing that the windows in the reception room and nurse's office were broken and the rooms were lit on fire. Graffiti left on the building reads, Jane was here, which is a reference to the pro-abortion organization Jane's Revenge. The group has reportedly claimed responsibility for attacking another pro-life center in Wisconsin last month and warned about more attacks to come. It was in the wake of a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion showing the justices are poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. The CEO of Compass Care, Jim Harden, says this is the pro-abortion Kristallnacht. Because of this act of violence, the needs of women facing unplanned pregnancy will go unmet and babies will die. Compass Care will not stop serving because preborn boys and girls deserve protection. This is not the only attack against pro-life centers this month. According to Sidewalk Advocates for Life, another pro-life center called Mountain Area Pregnancy Services in Asheville, North Carolina, was vandalized and had its windows smashed on Tuesday. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News.
0: And in D.C., on the lawn of the National Mall today, lawmakers joined with activists to push for tighter gun laws. Congressional leadership was there, and Democrats told NTD where their bottom line is and what they're looking at for baseline proposals. NTD's Melina Wisecup has the story.
3: I'm here on the National Mall where activists and lawmakers who are pushing for gun reform have laid out a visual representation of the more than 40,000 American lives that are lost due to gun related deaths each year. And this year the Orange Flowers represent an increase of 5000 gun related deaths over the past
4: couple of years. Democrats, Republicans, everyone. We must never stop fighting. Fight, fight, fight. THE
3: FORMER CONGRESSWOMAN WAS A VICTIM OF A SHOOTING IN 2011, AND SHE WAS SEVERELY INJURED. SHE THEN FOUNDED AN ORGANIZATION DEDICATED TO SAVING LIVES FROM GUN VIOLENCE. HER ORGANIZATION TUESDAY DISPLAYED THESE TENS OF THOUSANDS OF FLOWERS AT THE WASHINGTON MONUMENT AS A WAY TO PUT PRESSURE ON THE SENATE TO ACT.
5: AS MAJORITY LEADER,
6: I MADE CLEAR THAT THE SENATE WILL VOTE ON GUN SAFETY LEGISLATION IN THE NEAR FUTURE.
3: MANY WHO WERE PRESENT AT THE EVENT PUSHED FOR THE NEED TO RAISE THE MINIMUM AGE TO 21 TO BUY A GUN. THIS IS ALREADY THE LAW IN SIX STATES, INCLUDING THE REPUBLICAN-LEANING STATE OF FLORIDA.
1: You know, we, WE PASSED A LAW THAT ACTUALLY REQUIRED A THREE-DAY WAITING PERIOD, BUT WE SHOULD DO ANYTHING that we can and pass any bill we can because it's worth saving even one life. And look, the, the, the effort in the Senate, I think, is very tentative.
3: Senator Blumenthal, who's involved in the Senate negotiation talks, tells us that raising the minimum age may not be possible right now in the Senate.
7: But I recognize we're not going to do everything that we want. If we can save lives, it's a step in the right direction, and it reassures Republicans that they're not walking off a political cliff.
3: The House is expected to pass a legislative package of gun restrictions this week, but the Senate needs more time for negotiations. Right now, a group of senators is working to find middle ground on gun reform that could get enough Republican buy-in to send to the president's desk. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: And staying in the Capitol, award-winning actor Matthew McConaughey made a visit to D.C. today to make a plea for more restrictive gun laws. McConaughey was born and raised in Uvalde, Texas.
6: We need to restrain sensationalized media coverage. We need to restore our family values. We need to restore our American values. And... We need responsible gun ownership, responsible gun ownership. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15
8: rifle to 21.
0: McConaughey noted that he is a gun owner himself, and he told stories about a number of families of the victims he met after the mass shooting that took place in his hometown of Uvalde. The Hollywood actor met with President Biden and lawmakers on Capitol Hill who are working on crafting new gun laws. And Yesterday, NTD reported on a Latino startup company, largely backed by George Soros, that purchased 18 Spanish radio stations for $60 million. Today, Governor Ron DeSantis said in a statement that Soros is pushing a, quote, Marxist agenda on voters through his left-leaning media network. In response, the Republican governor's re election campaign plans to purchase an ad on two of Soros' Miami radio stations. His ads will warn voters of the recent media purchase and what he calls leftist disinformation. This new network was announced on Friday under the name Latino Media Network. It's largely funded by Lakestar Finance, an investment group affiliated with Soros Fund Management. As reported earlier, a co-owner of the media network told Axios that the company is serious about free speech and free expression rather than having a political bent. The new media owners say their goal is to embrace cultural pride and collectively empower Latinos. In Los Angeles, prosecutor George Gascon is defending the light sentence he gave to a teen felon who ran over a woman and her infant while driving a stolen car. Gascon says he charged the teen with the most serious offenses possible, but a former California prosecutor disagrees. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. A 16-year-old
1: felon allegedly driving a stolen vehicle got a maximum of seven months in a juvenile probation camp for doing this. The Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon charged the teen with two counts of felony assault and one count of felony for leaving the scene of an accident. A single assault charge has a maximum six-month sentence if you are an adult. Gascon says he charged the teen with the most serious offenses possible. But Charles Stimson, a former local, state, and federal prosecutor, says Gascon didn't use the correct law to charge the teen. He says the teen should have been charged with assault with a deadly weapon.
8: There's a difference in the law between assault, which is an attempt to do harm or serious harm to somebody, and a battery where the harm is completed against the person. And so the uh, person who drove this stolen car uh, certainly attempted to hit somebody with a deadly weapon. The car is clearly a deadly weapon.
1: Stimson said the charge of assault with a deadly weapon carries a more serious penalty.
8: It's a general intent crime. If you're convicted of that crime, You get either two, three, or four years in the state prison system.
1: The victim, Rachel, said she and her baby were almost murdered. But Gascon responded it wasn't attempted murder under California law. Stimson says the teen could have been charged as an adult.
8: This person was clearly capable of being tried in adult court with penal code section 245A1, or assault with a deadly weapon. He had prior convictions. Uh, He wasn't even charged with stealing the car or driving a stolen car.
1: Los Angeles voters are currently seeking to unseat Gascon in a recall vote. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York.
0: And over to Africa. Yesterday we reported that a Nigerian lawmaker said at least 50 people died during the church shooting in Nigeria. The death toll has now been reduced to 38. NTD's Jason Perry has the story.
9: Gunmen with explosives killed at least 38 people, including five children in an attack on a Catholic church in southwestern Nigeria. That's according to what the Ondo State Catholic Diocese told the Associated Press. This number is different from the at least 50 fatalities that Nigerian lawmakers reported yesterday. The Catholic Church in Ondo verified the names of the 38 people who were brought to the Catholic Hospital and to the federal medical center although some of the dead were taken to private hospitals, which means that the death toll could still be higher. On Monday, the spokesperson for the secretary general of the United Nations read a message from the resident coordinator for Nigeria.
10: The team sends their deepest condolences to the families and friends and mourning the victims of this horrific uh, crime. Mr. Shmali appealed for calm and for also bringing the perpetrators to justice.
9: Nigerian authorities investigating the shooting recovered multiple undetonated explosive devices. They also recovered a vehicle used by the attackers to escape, and the vehicle's owner is cooperating with the investigation. Authorities have yet to provide any information about the identity or motive of the attackers. From a broader perspective, the Nigerian military remains engaged in a decade-long war against terrorist groups Boko Haram and ISIS West Africa, both of which killed or kidnapped Christians and Muslims. Also, there has been fighting between predominantly Muslim herders and mostly Christian but also Muslim farmers. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, there were an estimated 1,100 deaths in 2021 from violence among ethnic groups, herdsmen, and farmers. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: A Kansas woman who joined ISIS pleaded guilty today to conspiring to provide material support for terrorism in the Middle East. The woman led an all-female Islamic State Battalion in Syria and aided terrorist groups for more than six years. 42-year-old Alison Fluke Ekron admitted in court that she led the all-female battalion, which was preparing to defend the Islamic State-controlled Syrian city of Raqqa. According to prosecutors, Kansas-born Fluke Ekron moved to Egypt in 2008 and started leading the group in late 2016, training them to use AK-47 rifles, grenades and suicide explosives. Court documents say she gave military training to over 100 women and young girls on behalf of ISIS. Fluke Ekron has been described by prosecutors as a fervent believer in the radical terrorist ideology of ISIS for many years. She faces up to 20 years in prison if convicted. And in lighter news, authorities in Montana were able to find a missing three-year-old boy safe in the wilderness. The search lasted lasted for two days over the weekend and involved drones and helicopters from multiple agencies. The boy, Riker Webb, was first reported missing south of Troy, Montana, Friday afternoon. He was last seen playing in his yard. A 53-person search team found him on Sunday in the wilderness in Sanders County, over two miles from where he went missing. Thunderstorms and heavy rainfall made the search extremely difficult. The boy survived two days in the wilderness alone as temperatures dropped into the 40s overnight. When authorities found him, he was in good condition, but hungry, thirsty, and cold. The boy was later taken to a medical center for evaluation. And in politics, primaries in seven states today, many races won't be competitive, but some highly contested congressional races are worth watching.
6: In Nevada, Trump-endorsed Republican Adam Laxalt holds a 15-point advantage over Purple Heart recipient Sam Brown. Brown, however, has strong grassroots support And the backing of the nevada republican party in california chris mathis is trying to oust congressman david velado one of 10 house republicans who voted to impeach former president trump california republican young kim has received great financial backing from republicans on a national level as she faces her challenger greg rath who is a retired fighter pilot northern maine is considered trump territory and Democratic Congressman Jared Golden, the only Democrat to vote against impeaching Trump, will likely face Republican Bruce Poliquin in November.
0: And in foreign affairs, Mexico's president is boycotting the U.S.-hosted Summit of the Americas. He says he will not attend since the U.S. is excluding Venezuela, Cuba and Nicaragua. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on that decision.
11: Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador announced on Monday he will not go to the summit because not all countries of the Americas are invited. López Obrador says he will send Mexico's foreign minister instead. The Mexican president says he still plans to meet with President Joe Biden in July to talk about immigration and more U.S. investment in Central America. Other leaders from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador are also declining to attend. State Department spokesperson Ned Price says the U.S. understands the Mexican president's position.
12: We, again, recognize and respect uh, the position of our allies in supporting and support of inclusive dialogue.
11: Price defended Washington's decision to exclude Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua from the meeting, saying, as the convener of the summit, the United States has broad discretion over who is invited to participate.
12: One of uh, the key elements of this summit is democratic governance. Uh, and these three countries are uh, not exemplars, to put it mildly, uh, of democratic governance.
11: White House Press Secretary Karine Jean Pierre says, despite OBRADOR'S decision, an extensive conversation can still be had with other heads of state at the summit.
12: The president has to stick by his principle. He believes that he needs to stick by his principles
13: and not invite dictators.
11: But many experts and critics say the event could turn into an embarrassment for President Biden with no meaningful progress if only a fraction of Latin American countries attend. If you're going to host a summit, uh, you need to get your ducks in order not just days, but weeks and months in
8: advance. And uh, the White House doesn't seem to have been able to muster that level of necessary attention.
11: One expert says it's a missed opportunity for the U.S. So one option
9: would have been to invite all of these leaders and actually have a discussion about the problems of democracy.
11: Biden has struggled to assert U.S. leadership in the region where mistrust of the U.S. runs deep. China has made major inroads in Latin America over the past two decades, as U.S. foreign policy has been focusing on wars in the Middle East and now Russia's invasion of Ukraine. FORMER WHITE HOUSE NATIONAL SECURITY DIRECTOR FOR SOUTH AMERICA BENJAMIN Gadon SAYS IT'S CRITICAL THE U.S. SHOWS IT'S SERIOUS ABOUT INVESTING IN THE REGION. LATIN AMERICA RIGHT NOW
14: IS IN DESPERATE, URGENT NEED OF INTERNATIONAL SUPPORT. IT HAS ENORMOUS POTENTIAL TO HELP FORTIFY SUPPLY CHAINS, TO PROVIDE COPPER AND LITHIUM AND OTHER CRITICAL MINERALS FOR GREEN TECHNOLOGIES. IT HAS OPPORTUNITIES FOR FRIEND SHORING, TO PUT uh, U.S. INVESTMENT, INSTEAD OF IN DISTANT uh, TOTALITARIAN STATES, IN LOCAL DEMOCRATIC STATES. It has opportunities for renewable energy.
11: It's the first time the summit will be held in the U.S. since 1994, when former President Bill Clinton convened the first meeting in Miami, Florida. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: Coming up, Elon Musk says China's population could decrease by 40% and could see a population collapse. And California really is surging ahead of the nation in gas prices. One gas station in the state hit $10 per gallon. But shocking as it may sound, it's not without reason. We'll have the details after the break.
14: In every country communism gains power, authoritarianism and death followed in its wake. Communism promises a world without suffering, and yet, in its execution, does the exact opposite. Following Lenin's death, Stalin's 29-year reign killed an estimated 60 to 66 million people. More famines and purges would occur. The very peasants that communism was supposed to benefit instead starved to death under its rule. The party dictates what is right and wrong. Mao ended up killing between 50 million and 70 million people. As an investigative journalist, I want to understand why.
0: Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton says his office will investigate Twitter, alleging that the firm lied about the number of bot accounts that exist on the platform. Paxton says a large number of bot accounts not only reduces users' experience on the platform, but may also inflate the value of the company. Twitter bots have come into focus in recent weeks after Elon Musk asked how many are on the platform. On Monday, Musk again brought up the issue, saying Twitter is refusing to provide data to his team. He threatened to walk away from the $44 billion Twitter deal. And Elon Musk is also chiming in on China's population crisis. On Twitter, he said that the country could be facing a population collapse. And TDS Don Ma has more.
15: Musk's tweet comes after the latest data from China's National Bureau of Statistics, which showed China's population growth rate falling to its lowest level in 60 years. And just 10 million babies were born in China in 2021. This is the lowest number recorded since the Communist Party took power in 1949.
7: China is filling more coffins than cradles each year.
15: Steven Moser, demographer and president of the Population Research Institute, says China's population crisis is a result of the Communist Party's one-child policy, under which millions of unborn baby girls were aborted. He knows this because in the 1980s, he was actually there in the operating room as Chinese doctors were performing abortions.
7: Uh, I was in the operating room as they were aborting women who were seven, eight, and nine months pregnant. Uh, that far along, in pregnancy, Uh, they were doing cesarean section abortions. They were injecting a lethal drug into the womb to kill the child, and the following day they would then do a cesarean section to remove the now dead or dying baby. Uh, That's how it was being done. Uh, That's what I was an eyewitness to. It, It
15: was horrific. A study published in The Lancet Medical Journal predicts that China could lose over 660 million people or nearly half of its population just 80 years from now. Though China is not the only country in the world that's seeing a low birth rate, in fact, many countries are facing similar issues to varying degrees, including the U.S. Manush Pradhan, founder of a U.K.-based macroeconomic research firm, says that an aging population leads to a shrinking workforce, and that could lead to higher wages and higher inflation, and it could also increase a country's debt.
16: The United States has a significant increase in the forecasted profile of debt. And a lot of that increase in the debt has to do with providing healthcare services, providing pensions, and in general looking after an aging population.
15: The Moser at the Population Research Institute believes that there isn't a cause for concern for the U.S. yet.
7: The uh, economic downturn, the COVID lockdown and lockup, has depressed the birth rate tremendously hopefully it will now start to come back a little bit but even at the current levels uh, we're much much higher uh, than china and higher than any
15: other developed country moser is hopeful that with the pandemic easing the united states birth rate could go back up don ma and td news
0: and on the u.s economy where is inflation going and did we see it coming Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen today faces grilling by lawmakers over the administration's policies. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Testifying before
17: the Senate Finance Committee on Tuesday, the Treasury Secretary admits again that she misjudged the path of inflation.
13: When I said that inflation would be transitory, what I was not anticipating was a scenario in which we would end up contending with multiple variants of COVID, and I was not envisioning um, impacts on food and energy prices we've seen from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She says she could have used a better term than transitory, adding, I do expect inflation to remain high. The testimony
17: comes days after Yellen admitted she was, quote, wrong last year when she said inflation would go away quickly. And Republicans are now pressing her on whether Biden's policies, including what they call excessive stimulus spending, have made it worse.
6: Secretary, do you agree with the San Francisco Fed that the nearly $2 trillion March spending package was a significant causal factor in the high, increasingly broad base and in accelerating inflation?
13: Senator, we're seeing high inflation in almost all developed countries. Soaring gas prices are also drawing
17: debate. Yellen points to oil companies, though some senators disagree.
13: Uh, they're sitting on uh, thousands of um, leases on federal lands uh, that they have not yet drilled and but certainly can do so. But the permits for, do for so.
10: proceeding on those leases are not being facilitated. I mean, the, the president's executive orders have shut down the Xtail pipeline.
17: And an expert on the energy industry tells NTD that permits for other pipelines have been delayed.
7: So if the administration were to say we're not stopping people from drilling, you can't drilling wouldn't work if you drill and have wells and then you can't get the oil to a refinery because the pipeline permits are being held up.
17: And Secretary Yellen is likely to face more grilling on these hot button topics on Wednesday when she appears before House lawmakers.
0: Reporting in Washington, D.C., Aris Tao, NTD News. And a worker shortage is forcing some summer camps to either slim down their programming or cancel completely. And those still open for the summer season say they're feeling the impact of inflation and soaring demand. More in today's Consumer Watch. School is out for summer. In some of the camps
12: parents counted on to keep their children busy are no longer an option. Five, five. From private to city run summer camps, some programs are either being trimmed or canceled altogether this 2022 season due to a serious worker shortage. I think it's another really tough year for summer camps. Camp IHC in Pennsylvania is one of those camps still operating this season, but Camp Director Lauren Rutowski says they have had to raise wages and hire international staff to have enough counselors. We
2: have seen the cost of staffing go up 30 to 50%. So that's really tricky when in 2020, most of us did not open at all. Meanwhile
12: in Georgia, Campfire Camp, camp Tacoa announced the cancellation of its overnight camp due to difficulty in securing the necessary staff. And in Michigan, Traverse City canceled its summer day camp program, saying it couldn't hire enough workers to meet state regulations requiring a 10 to one students to counselor ratio. We
1: need you.
12: The staffing issues come as demand has come roaring back after pandemic disruptions. Some 26 million children nationwide are expected to be enrolled in one of over 15,000 summer camps in the country. We
2: will likely be
12: fully enrolled for summer 2023 um, at some point you know, in July this year. Meanwhile, inflation is also surging, forcing some camp operators to pass on additional costs to parents as they're faced with higher prices for food, transportation, staff
0: and insurance. How much are you willing to pay for gas? While the national average price sits at nearly $5 a gallon, one remote California town is charging almost double that. But the town has its reasons. Let's take a look.
4: Gas prices continue to break new records every day. But the small, remote town of Mendocino, along California's northern coast, has been setting high prices for years. Current prices are now almost $10 per gallon. Schlafer's Auto Repair is selling regular gas for $9.60 per gallon. But if your car requires plus, then you'll have to shell out $9.69. And if you need Supreme, that'll be $9.91. According to ABC7, the station's owner sets her prices high because even though she gets her gas from Chevron, she's an independent gas station. She also doesn't sell food or drinks to help make ends meet. Last year, NTD reported on similar high gas prices in the small town of Gorda along California's southern coast. Locals told NTD that high gas prices help offset the cost of the town generating its own electricity. Meanwhile, the average price in the rest of the state sits at $6.37 per gallon. And if you have any news tips or feedback
0: for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, Tiger Woods is withdrawing from next week's U.S. Open, citing a need to get stronger. NTD's Dave Martin breaks down his shaky performance thus far. And what's next for the golfing legend? And Russia says that two major Ukrainian ports seized by Russian forces are ready to resume green shipments. But the Kremlin says Kyiv still needs to clear the area of mines before exports can take place. Find out more in just a moment here on MTD News. Now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories.
6: Tiger Woods announced he will not be participating in the U.S. Open, which starts next week in Brookline, Massachusetts. Woods made the announcement on Twitter today saying his body needed more time to get stronger. He also reiterated that he plans to play at the J.P. McManus Pro-Am in Ireland, which starts on July 4th, before playing the Open at St. Andrews in Scotland the following week. Woods, who's won the US Open three times, had to withdraw from last month's PGA Championship after three rounds, citing soreness in his leg. Although he made the cut with a strong second-round performance, he was noticeably limping the day after, posting a 9-over-79, his worst ever at the PGA Championship. The event was just the second on tour for Woods after a car accident in February of 2021 that nearly cost him his leg. The 15-time major champion also played in the Masters in April, finishing 47th and posting his worst scores ever at Augusta National. Elsewhere in golf, two-time major winner Dustin Johnson has announced his withdrawal from the PGA Tour in favor of the upstart Live Golf League. Johnson was fourth among active players with 24 PGA Tour victories. Johnson joins Phil Mickelson and Sergio Garcia as some of the bigger name players that are switching to the Saudi funded league. The move will make him ineligible for future Ryder Cups but he will be able to play the US Open as announced today by the USGA. Tonight in the NHL the two-time defending champion Lightning hosts the Rangers looking to tie the series up at two games apiece. Tampa Bay won game three to get back in the series. The Lightning outshot New York 52-30, but they didn't pull ahead until an Andre Pallad goal with just 42 seconds left in regulation. The winner of the series will play Colorado in the Stanley Cup Finals. The Avalanche finished off their sweep of the Oilers last night in Edmonton with a 6-5 overtime win, putting them in the Finals for the first time since 2001. In the NFL, the Super Bowl champion Rams reworked defensive tackle Aaron Donald's contract, ensuring his return. The three-time AP Defensive Player of the Year is now the highest-paid non-quarterback in NFL history with a three-year $95 million deal, according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Donald flirted with retirement after the Rams' big win, saying he'd return if Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham were back. Miller, though, signed with Buffalo, while Beckham continues to rehab from a torn ACL. The 31-year-old Donald is one of three defensive players since the 1970 merger to be elected to the Pro Bowl in each of his first eight seasons. In baseball last night, Mets infielder Eduardo Escobar had a night to remember. The switch hitter singled in the first inning, doubled in the fourth, homered in the eighth, and tripled in the ninth to become the first New York Mets to hit for the cycle in 10 years. The feat was the first ever accomplished at San Diego's Petco Park, which opened in 2004. Escobar ended up driving in six runs on the night while powering the first place Mets to the third straight win. That's all for sports today. Back to you, Steph.
0: Thanks, Dave. And staying in sport, the minimum competition age for senior figure skating competition is gradually going to change from 15 to 17. The International Skating Union made the decision after a debate at their Congress today.
4: The proposal okay, so was passed close by the vote.
0: 100 votes to 16 well clear of the two-thirds majority required. The decision came after the Beijing Winter Olympics in February. Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva tested positive for a banned substance. She was 15 at the time. Her case prompted questions about the minimum age and if it needed to be raised to protect minors. The minimum age for skaters will be 16 for the 2023-24 season and increase to 17 from the 2024-25 season onwards. This will be in time for the 2026 Winter Olympics in Italy. Valieva, who is now 16, failed a doping test at the Russian national championships last year, December. The result was only revealed on February 8th, a day after she had helped the Russian Olympic Committee win the team event at the Beijing Games. And now to the war in Ukraine. Street fighting still rages in the last city partially controlled by Ukraine in Luhansk province. Meanwhile, the Kremlin says two major ports are ready to resume grain shipments, but this can't happen until Ukraine gets rid of the mines in the sea near the ports. Over 20 million tons of grains is awaiting export, and this is expected to rise to 75 million tons by autumn. NTD's Joy Felix has more.
16: Russia said on Tuesday that the two major Ukrainian ports on the Sea of Azov Seized by Russian forces were ready to resume grain shipments, but the Kremlin said Kiev is still needed to demine the approach to its ports for exports to take place.
5: This will allow ships, once checked by our military, to make sure these ships do not deliver arms to enter the ports, load grain and even with our help if needed, proceed to international waters.
16: Russia has seized large parts of Ukraine's coast, and its warships control the Black and Azov seas, blocking Ukraine's farm exports and driving up the price of grain. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shogol said the ports of Berdyansk and Maropol, the later city destroyed after a three-month Russian siege, had resumed their operations.
5: President Putin also said that the Russian side would not use future shipping corridors that have been cleared of mines to launch any offensive against coastal towns.
16: More than 20 million tons of grain are stuck in Ukraine awaiting shipment, and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said this could rise to 75 million by the autumn. Kiev and the West accuse Moscow of weaponizing food supplies. Russia blames the situation on what it says are Ukrainian mines and on international sanctions against its own economy. Ukraine has accused Russia of stealing vital grain supplies and British Farming Minister Victoria Prentice said that the allegations against Ukraine are very serious and must be investigated immediately. Joy Felix, NTD News.
0: And more on the war. A U.S. court has authorized the seizure of two luxury planes owned by Russian billionaire and Chelsea soccer club owner Roman Abramovich. The billionaire made headlines after putting Chelsea up for sale in March following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The sale was complicated by U.K. sanctions on Abramovich and was completed just last month. On Monday, a federal judge in Manhattan issued warrants for his planes on the grounds that he violated U.S. export controls imposed after the Russian invasion.
18: invasion. The U.S.-made planes were flown to Moscow three times in March without the license required by U.S. export restrictions. But the U.S. government's likelihood of gaining control of the nearly 400 million dollar aircraft remains uncertain. A Department of Justice official says the planes aren't yet in U.S. custody and that the warrants will likely dissuade companies from helping to move the aircraft. U.S. authorities are trying to pressure business leaders close to Russian President Vladimir Putin to halt what Moscow calls its special military operation in Ukraine. Abramovich, who helped mediate talks between Moscow and Kiev during the early days of the war, has also been sanctioned by the EU, but not the United States. The U.S. Commerce Department may fine Abramovich nearly $1 million for the unlicensed flights, among other penalties. A spokesperson for Abramovich did not immediately respond to requests for comment. He is denied having close ties to Putin.
0: And on food, worries are rising in the sugar industry that gas shortages could affect global production capacities. The ongoing war in Ukraine and supply chain issues have already led to worries about a global food crisis in other sectors.
14: The sugar industry is the latest sector to be hit by the war in Ukraine. Worries are rising that gas shortages may soon impact global production. Stefan Strang is the head of the Association of Southern German
5: Sugar Beet Growers. So during the last three years, um, the demand of sugar is higher than the production. So we are at actual in a a situation that there is not a lot of stocks um, in the world. So when we are losing um, a part of the worldwide um, sugar harvest, beet harvest and the sugar production, it means that we will have a big supply problem and this uh, it will be a supply problem for the whole world. Sugar beets make up 32
14: percent of the world's sugar supply. The manufacturing process uses a relatively large amount of energy for a short period of
5: time. And Strang says most of that energy comes from coal, oil or gas. And there are many factories that are 100 percent depending on gas delivery. So they will not be able to start the campaign. And this means there is no sugar production at all. This means no uh, beet uh, cutting, no processing. So a big disaster for the beet growers and for the sugar industry.
14: According to the International Confederation of European Beet Growers, the European Union is the third largest sugar producer in the world.
0: And while the world's spotlight is on the war in Ukraine, and Russian cyber attacks are making headlines, but the FBI warns that the globe's biggest hacking threat actually comes from China. Here's more.
15: China is the world's largest malicious cyber actor. That's what FBI Director Christopher Wray said last week during a cybersecurity talk at Boston College. He says China pursues long-term goals and operates at a scale to which Russia doesn't even come close to.
10: They've got a bigger hacking program than all other major nations combined. They've stolen more American personal and corporate data than all nations combined. And they've shown no sign of tempering their ambition and their aggression.
15: Ray says that China's huge economy gives it tools and leverage that other countries lack. Citing an example from 2020, U.S. companies operating in China were required by law to use a certain tax software.
10: But a number of U.S. companies then discovered that malware was delivered into their networks through that software.
15: Which gave the Chinese Communist Party access to the company's data.
10: So what that adds up to is that by complying with Chinese laws for conducting lawful business in China, they ended up with backdoors into their systems. He
15: added that in 2021, Microsoft and other cybersecurity companies disclosed that Chinese hackers had compromised over 10,000 US networks. And
10: that's just one example of how the Chinese government is pursuing their goal to lie, cheat, and steal their way into global domination of technology sectors.
15: Ray said that China is hiring hackers as if they were cyber mercenaries and providing them with state resources to attack the United States. Ray said in January that the FBI opens a new China counterintelligence investigation about every 12 hours, that there are currently more than 2,000 of those investigations, and that all 56 U.S.-based FBI field offices are engaged in the effort.
0: And more on China. One of the country's top economists says if the U.S. were to impose Russia-level sanctions on China, it would have to seize Taiwanese company TSMC and basically almost take over the world's semiconductor industry. Almost all modern technology uses semiconductors, including military equipment. NTD's fake quarter has more.
2: One of China's top economists says China must retake Taiwan if the West imposes Russia-level sanctions on them. Chen Winling, chief economist at the China Center for International Economic Exchanges, said in a speech that China must retake TSMC in particular, especially as TSMC works more and more with America.
0: TSMC, in my opinion, has become the most important semiconductor company in the world. Why? Because its process technology is the best. And the companies that need semiconductor chips manufactured at the highest levels, 5 nanometer, 3 nanometer, 2 nanometer, and so on, will need to go primarily to TSMC.
2: Rupert Hammond Chambers is the president of the US-Taiwan Business Council. Chambers says semiconductor chips are important because they're used in a lot of modern technology. This includes things from phones and cars to fighter jets and missile defense systems.
8: It's a hypothetical disruption of supply of semiconductor chips from the island of Taiwan for one year alone would cause half a trillion dollars of economic damage to original equipment manufacturers alone.
2: Stephen Ezell is Vice President for Global Innovation Policy at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Ezell believes it would be impossible for China to forcefully control TSMC. A,
8: those facilities would probably be destroyed in the conflict. B, even if they weren't, Technology exists so as to make those fab lines inoperative uh, were they to come into others' hands.
2: And while many are worried about a full-on invasion, Rupert Hammond Chambers thinks another scenario is more
0: likely. It's less risky for them p- potentially to pursue, pursue a blockade scenario of Taiwan's airspace and sea space where the, the West would be forced to try and break the blockade, where China's, where Taiwan's production would not be brought offline, but it would be cut off and pressure would build on the rest of the world.
2: Chambers says this would disable chip production for the entire world and the West would have to accommodate China as a result. Bay Quarter, NTD News.
0: Pandas or pangolins cozying up to Beijing or keeping ties with Taiwan? A city in Europe chooses its animal of choice as a diplomatic gift after years of three-way tensions. Here's more. This
2: is a pangolin, one of the world's most trafficked mammals. A zoo in Prague got a pair of them from Taiwan after a political falling out with China. Prague was originally hoping to get pandas after the Czech capital became a sister city to Beijing in 2016. But things took a turn after the new mayor took office. The new mayor, Zdenek Krib, wanted to remove a clause from the agreement that upholds the one-China principle. Under it, countries or cities must recognize Beijing's claim that Taiwan is part of China. Taiwan split from mainland China after a civil war in 1949. Mark raids and
7: mechanized maneuvers all express the heroic determination of Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek to fight on whatever the future may hold.
2: But Beijing still sees Taiwan as part of its territory, and it has been pledging to take control of the island by force. THAT'S DESPITE TAIWAN BEING A SELF-RULED DEMOCRACY, HAVING NEVER BEEN RULED BY THE CHINESE COMMUNIST REGIME AND HAVING ITS OWN MILITARY AND PRESIDENT. MOST COUNTRIES, INCLUDING THE U.S., RECOGNIZE THE ONE CHINA POLICY. WASHINGTON KEEPS DIPLOMATIC TIES WITH CHINA, BUT A LAW REQUIRES IT TO PROVIDE TAIWAN WITH THE MEANS TO DEFEND ITSELF. After Beijing refused to remove the one China clause, Prague canceled its sister city agreement with Beijing.
16: It later became a sister city to
2: Taipei, the capital of Taiwan. So instead of pandas, Prague welcomed a pair of pangolins from Taiwan.
15: For us, they are ambassadors of the wild nature, ambassadors of the pangolins that are still living in the wilderness.
2: The Czech government still upholds the one-China policy, but Prague says it wants to focus on cultural cooperation, not
0: politics. Coming up, Apple is unveiling its latest iPhone operating system and its newest chip for MacBooks. The new system will allow users to edit iMessages. And a rare Stradivari violin is headed to auction at Christie's. The instrument was made all the way back in 1679 by the renowned Italian craftsman. Stay tuned for more when we come back. is announcing a software update to its iPhones and a new generation of MacBook Air powered with its latest M2 chip. This was at its second major annual event this year, the Worldwide Developers Conference on Monday. Let's take a look.
19: Apple unveiled its latest operating system for iPhones, iOS 16 on Monday. It will allow users to edit or unsend iMessages and use their iPhone camera as a webcam for their computers along with other changes.
14: And the next release, iOS 16, offers new intelligence, sharing and communication features that are going to enhance so much of what you do with your iPhone. In iOS 16, we're bringing the biggest update ever to the lock
19: screen, completely reimagining how it looks and works for you. The tech giant is also introducing a new payment system called Apple Pay Later. It lets users split the cost of an Apple Pay purchase into four equal payments spread over six weeks. There will be zero interest and no additional fees. Bob O'Donnell, president of Technalysis Research, is positive about the latest system update.
14: Well, you know, I thought it was great. I mean, I think what we saw Apple doing is doing the real meat and potatoes upgrades that people are looking for. Refinements to iOS, refinements to Mac OS, uh, refinements to the iPad OS. um, Things that people have been asking for, little things that, you know, grabbed a lot of attention.
19: And also at the conference, Apple announced its new MacBook Air redesigned around a new M2 silicone processor. The company says it will be 35% faster than its predecessor, the M1 chip, and come with 24 gigabytes of unified memory.
3: So that's the all new amazingly portable and powerful MacBook Air. It's thinner, lighter and faster with a durable unibody design, bigger display, better camera, all day battery life and four beautiful finishes. It's everything you could want in a new MacBook Air.
19: The new MacBook Air with the M2 chip will start at $1,199 and come in gray, gold, silver, and blue. It weighs 2.7 pounds and has a 13.6-inch liquid retina display. A MacBook Pro with M2 chip starts at $1,299. Both laptops will be available next month.
0: And from technology to tradition, a rare 1679 violin made by renowned Italian craftsman Antonio Stradivari is headed for auction next month, where it could fetch up to 11 million dollars.
19: Christie's Auction House says the Hellier Stradivarius is the finest inlaid violin ever made by Stradivari and one of the finest Stradivarius instruments in existence. Engraved with ivory diamonds and finished with a golden varnish, the violin has an estimated value of between 7 and $12 million. Florian Leonhard is a violin expert and Christie's consultant.
5: So the beauty of this violin is these 500 uh, um, diamond-shaped pieces of ivory that were inlaid around the purfling. Um it's a lot of work to cut them and to, to carefully place them. And also this very beautifully inlaid uh, black um, ornamentation all the way around the violin, around the scroll, everywhere. Everything's absolutely beautifully carved and yet not like a machine, it just shows character and the hand of the great maist- master.
19: Stradivari kept the instrument for 55 years, selling it in 1734 for 40 pounds to Samuel Hellier of England.
5: I expect a lot of interest for such an instrument because it's so rare that it comes out of a museum. When can you touch a violin like this and own it? It's incredible.
19: Stradivari's violins are known for their exquisite craftsmanship and superior sound quality. They currently cost between $8 million and $20 million, according to Leonhard. Christie said in a statement that of the roughly 1,100 instruments that Stradivari made over the course of his career, only around a dozen are embellished with decoration, and this specimen is regarded by the Smithsonian curators as the best preserved extant example. The Hellier Stradivarius violin goes up for auction in the exceptional sale at Christie's in London on July 7th.
0: What a beautiful sound. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie at Cox.